Quest of Bliss, a podcast about finding light in the darkness. This episode was produced by Cappy Productions. Just going to take a moment to interrupt your regularly scheduled programming to introduce you a show called Translating Love. I played their uh, promo last week on the show, but in case you missed it, here it is again. Hey, everybody. This is Danny. And Boyfi. From the podcast Translating, Translating Love. Love. And yes, we know what you're thinking. Another relationship podcast. However, since I am from the U.S., And I'm from Austria. We think that there is a unique twist on the genre. With relatable topics and interesting guests, we're trying to provide some helpful insights, give helpful tips, and also make you laugh. Our topics for translating love include mental health, trauma, anxiety, long-distance relationships, being married, sex, and many other subjects concerning all types of relationships, not only romantic ones. And our goal is not to only strengthen our bond and spend more quality time together making translating love, but also to try to be more mindful, learn new things about these topics and ourselves, and become more well-rounded human beings. Therefore, we also talk about subjects that are important to talk about and relatable in this day and age. You can listen to Translating Love on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. I got to tell you, I love the concept of the show, and I think that they are just fantastic people. So check it out and back to the show. Hello and welcome back to the Conquest of Bliss. I am here with Ben and I'm very excited to talk to him today. So how are you today, Ben? Um, I'm pretty good. How about you? I'm honestly fantastic and I'm really excited for this conversation because you have a little bit of different take on happiness and, and really just experiencing life in general. So do you want to talk a little bit about how we connected? Uh, Yeah. Well, I, I put up on uh, Reddit. I was like, hey... I'm a psychopath. I'm looking to be on a podcast anonymously. And uh, I believe you were into the comments, right? Or did I reach out to you after seeing <sighs> your post? I forget. I'm not sure which which happened, um, to be honest with you. But either way, I was really, really excited because it's a very different angle because your experience of life would be very different than that of, you know, someone who doesn't have uh, similar diagnoses. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of confusion around the term psychopath. So before we go much further, can you kind of elaborate on what that means? Because I know that it's it's in itself not a diagnosis, right? There's no. other diagnoses that, that people consider to be that, right? Yep. Well, basically, it stems from uh, ASPD, antisocial personality disorder. And uh, it's just, you know, lack of empathy or complete no, you know, just no empathy at all, uh, no guilt, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Superficial charm, narcissistic behavior usually comes inside there. Uh, sadism is usually, I think, usually connected. Okay. I thought I'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it, I mean, honestly, when I hear the sort of symptoms around it, it sounds like it would be in a lot of ways freeing and then in other ways super lonely. Would you agree with that assessment? Uh, yeah. I can't really connect with anybody inside my life. Everybody just feels like an alien to me. So I'm just alone. Oh, but at the same time, it's probably a little bit freeing or maybe I guess you wouldn't have something to compare it to. Because I know uh, empathy. Sorry? 
I, I, no, I don't really have anything to compare it to. I mean, I would like to live alone and set like my own place and maybe get like a puppy or a, or a cat or something. But I don't really see myself ever having like a family family. My family right now just kind of feels like friends that I grew up with. Mm, okay. So that actually leads me to an interesting question that I have. And that is, you mentioned getting a cat or a dog. So do you find that you are able to empathize well with with uh with, you know, cats and dogs and stuff like that? I empathize uh, better. I wouldn't say well. Um, you know, I, I care for them. And they don't speak, which makes it easier to talk to them. Mm-hmm. You know? Even if it's not about anything important, I just kind of look at them. They kind of look, just look at me. And it's a simple uh, exchange of, you know, just what it is. It's no other bullshit. That's fair. And, and uh, I actually think that, you know, um, people of all different backgrounds <laughs> feel that way about cats and dogs. Um, yeah. I mean, I uh, am an extremely like, like almost, I don't know if there's a, there's a term for it, but almost too empathetic where it causes me like pain and stuff sometimes. Oh, and you're like an I, empath. Yeah. I never, I, I feel like that's such a buzzword. So I try to <laughs> avoid it. Cause I'm like, well, I don't necessarily like resonate with a lot of the things that are associated with that word, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so what I what I am really really interested in. Uh, well, there's a few things I'm interested in. You you're a very interesting person. Uh, <laughs> but uh, one of the things that especially that I'm interested in is your relationship to happiness. But I'm going to start with a different question because that makes more sense. Um, to okay. start. <laughs> and that is, at what point did you know the the powers that be, you know, the doctors or whoever, realize? that you were relating to the world differently than your peers? Well, uh, I got diagnosed uh, October, but even before that, I could tell that like something was a little, a little different. Uh, in, in large groups, I would usually like, if something were, were to like happen, I would look around and gauge the reactions and kind of like sum up what I'm supposed to look like I'm feeling. <laughs> in the given situation. So alone with one person at the time, uh, it was really weird because I would just sit there and I didn't have any like emotion, <laughs> like gauge to bounce off of, you know? Totally. That makes sense. And that's, what's interesting is that um, antisocial personality disorder and um, narcissistic personality disorder and a lot of those ones are similar in that way to people who are on the spectrum. Um, I've heard very similar reports from people who are on the spectrum where they just kind of look around and go like, how are we supposed to feel right now? You know, we're supposed to be demonstrating. Um, And so I guess, yeah, like the, the big question on my mind is, is what your relationship to happiness looks like. I know, you know, uh, there's a lot of different kinds of happiness and stuff like that, but I'm curious when people talk about being happy, like, is that something that you crave or are you kind of neutral about it? Uh, I kind of just craved uh, excitement. Okay. You know, like my heart beating fast. Uh, that's pretty fun. I got into a car accident a, like uh, a week ago or actually no, it was Tuesday and I just kind of sat there and I was thinking, what should I look like? I'm like supposed to be going through. So <laughs> I just, you know, kind of just faked surprise, you know? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to start running again because that got my heart pumping. But yeah, happiness doesn't really cross my mind I guess when I'm not bored I can consider that as happiness mm-hmm. but not really that's really interesting I had um I had an expert recently who opened my eyes to the idea of different kinds of happiness and 
I'm going to, if, if you're okay with it, I'm going to read you a list and I'm just curious kind of what of those things y- you relate to. Okay. I'm done. Sorry, I was just Googling and so I, I muted it for a second so that you didn't have to hear the, the typing. <laughs> the typing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, because like I said, when I heard that, I was like, oh, that absolutely makes sense to me. And I, I was just surprised because you tend to think of happiness as being joy or elation, right? Yep. But there's, oh, these, this isn't the freaking list. Oh, you can swear on this <laughs> podcast, by the way. I don't know why I said frick. But, <laughs> um, but uh, I had it up and then I, I put it down. You know how it is. It's always this way. I'm like, oh, I'm recording and here it is. Okay, so there's there's joy, there's excitement, which you touched on, um, gratitude, pride. So pride in, you know, in oneself or in other things. There's optimism, contentment, and love are the, I guess that's probably seven types of happiness. Um, And so I would say that as, you know, someone who is closer to neurotypical, I experience at different times all of those. Are there any that stick out as ones that you don't feel that you experience in the same way as the average person? Um, Contentment, it sounds interesting. It sounds like what I would uh, describe, I guess. Okay. Well, that's really cool because that's probably the most lasting of all of those kinds of happiness. So that's good. Um, Yeah. What about optimism? I feel like optimism is one that might be a challenge there. Optimism, optimism and pessimism, pessimism is uh, pretty interesting to me because you really can't choose one to live your life off of. I'm pretty much both. You have to choose which one you want to use in a situation that, you know, life throws at you. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, real- one is really not good. Yeah, realism really includes both. Um, there are sometimes so. So I guess uh, the the next question I have is that a lot of people um, really like like a lot of research actually is probably a better way to put it. Really focuses on relations, relationships, and like with other people mostly, and and how that impacts you know overall contentment and stuff like that. The name antisocial um, personality disorder implies that, you know, you could go live alone in the forest and you'd be just as good. Would you agree with that? Yeah. When I talk to people, it feels like I'm talking to the same person over and over again. No offense. <laughs> no, no, that's cool. That's cool. I uh, I also feel that way sometimes, but it just depends on the people. Um, so, so where would you rank relationships say to people that you are close with like you said your family was like growing up with friends where would you rank that in importance um in your life total uh i would rank it hmm i would because relationships are pretty important in case something happens you need people to fall back on so i would say most important but for the for different reasons than you than would the average choose. person. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Um, ah, that's so interesting. I'm so, I'm sorry if I'm like, it's almost like I'm fangirling. I'm so excited. Um, I love, I love there talking, love talking <laughs> to people whose, uh, whose minds work differently than my own because it's, I think the best way to start to understand the world around me. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the next question that I have is, is sort of related to the relationship thing, 
but a little bit differently, is that most of the people I've talked to who have any um, disorder that's considered a personality disorder face a lot of judgment or shame or pushback, you know, from other, not maybe not shame, but attempts at shame from other okay. people. And I know this is the first time I've ever talked to someone who has anti-person, anti-social personality disorder as opposed to narcissistic or borderline. Um, so my question is, when you get that, does that affect you? Um, like after the conversation's over, obviously it affects you in the moment when you're you're actually actively dealing with it. But after the conversation's over, is that something that plays in your head at all? Or do you just let it go? Uh, I just let it go. I don't really let things bother me like that. But I've never really had anybody like shame me uh, for like being, you know, that. But I always play all the situations in my head. So what I would say is already lined up, you know, just to make them contradict themselves. Because, you know, a lot of people like me, they play a big part in like the world. Business mm-hmm. leaders, CEOs, all that kind of stuff. Without a psychopath, you'd never know what the world would be like. Yeah, that totally makes sense. There's a level of um, there's a level of uh, restriction that, like, limitation that having you know highly attuned emotions brings you, where yeah. you know you're not really able to move through the world as smoothly because you're constantly being stopped by these feelings. So it's absolutely valuable to the world at large. Um, and, and the other thing that I hear a lot about psychopathy is people make accusations of manipulation. And I don't necessarily think that's always true. Um, and, and okay, I don't think it's necessarily true in the way that it's often meant. I think that in the sense that we all are constantly manipulating the realities around us, it's true. But in the sense that it's some deep malicious thing, I really don't. Um, do you want to speak on that kind of idea a little bit? Have you come across that much? Uh, come across like people trying to manipulate or like people trying to like say that I ma- manipulated them? Accusations of manipulation just because you bothered to get uh, get a diagnosis, basically. Well, not a lot of people know. Oh. But, uh, yeah, not a lot of people in my life know. Oh, okay, okay. That makes sense. Because yeah, yeah. Whenever, whenever I see it, it's it's paired with that narrative and I feel like it's I don't want to say like like it unfair seems like the right word, where mm. it's like you know in the same way that you wouldn't paint neurotypicals with the same brush. I find it really strange that people with whatever diagnosis, whether it's you know um, antisocial personality disorder or autism spectrum disorder or any number of things that that are a type of neurodivergence, mm. find it really strange that we are so comfortable as a society to paint everybody with a diagnosis with the same brush. Yeah, but I, I I also like still get it though. You know, if somebody who is very good at this one thing, and like you got to assume that they're always doing that. You know? Yeah, I can I can kind of get that. I I love how pragmatic you think about it. Um, <laughs> it's uh, again very very useful. So so when oh sorry, I just had to breathe really loud. Apparently. <laughs> I was just trying to center myself and I did it real loud. Um, so when you are, when you're looking at these things that we, um, on the on the other side of it, are prioritizing, you know, things like relationships for just the emotional sake or some of the f- stupid fucked up drama that people create based on like these perceptions that are very clearly just that perception. Kind of how do you view that? Is like, what's your uh, relationship to that? 
I love it. I, I watched this show called 90210. It's like with a bunch of, you know, Beverly Hills kids doing stupid shit. They break up, they get together. It's so fucking entertaining to see people just like go crazy over their own emotions. They can just solve <laughs> the problems like so simply. Just with one just with one move and they just fuck it up and add like ten more steps to the whole equation. <laughs> we really do. <laughs> um when I was so I, I believe you're a lot younger than me. So you're yep. talking about the newest 90210, right? Uh if there isn't like one very recent. The one I'm talking about is from 2009. Okay, yeah. The one that I'm thinking of is from like the 80s or 90s or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, yeah, and, and that's really interesting. So when, like, I guess, okay, one question that I have, and it's really hard to phrase, so please bear with me, mm-hmm. is... When you talk about, you know, being entertained, do you do you think based on observation, of course, because you can only observe, um, any any of us can only observe people who are who are interacting with the world differently than us. Do you think that you're experiencing those types of emotions differently? Uh, I've thought about that before and no. I That's just right. think I think it's like a one-way glass type of thing, like uh, hmm. How to explain this? Uh, like I, I'm inside of a room, right? Mm-hmm. I can see you. I can hear you, and everything. And what you see is my body, but I'm not there. Okay. Kind of just, uh, just like third person, if that makes any sense. That totally. That's the only way I can describe sense. it. And honestly, what's really interesting about that, and this is a little bit off course, but that's cool. That's how this show kind of goes sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. What's really interesting about that is that like I was talking to a neuroscientist a little while ago and we were talking about meditation and the idea of zooming out and how sometimes when you zoom out, which is which is a little bit like what you're talking about, sort of a third person observing the social interactions instead of being kind of in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you do that, it can create a sort of paralysis when there are decisions to be made where the the logical side is kind of equally weighted on either side and emotion like that's basically one of the big functions of emotion is to sort of weight things when when we have to make decisions that are that are fairly equally weighted so is that something that you experience very much uh I kind of got lost in the question. <laughs> bad. Okay, that's fair. No, 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 that's fair. It's a bit of a weird concept. But um, when, when okay, so in a lot of meditation, especially Eastern meditation, yep. one of the ideas is to achieve neutrality. And that's done by sort of zooming out and viewing situations, especially social situations, pretty much exactly how you described. But one of the side effects of that is when there's a decision to be made where both options are equally good or bad, viable, whatever. Um, your emotions not being, you, like you not being engaged in those emotions makes it really, really hard to make a decision. And it's it's a sort of emotional, paral- or not emotional, but like cognitive paralysis. Mm. My question is that being that that's sort of your default, do you experience that type of sort of decision-making paralysis where you don't know what's right because you look at it logically and it's basically equal. When it gets to that point, you know, people don't realize this, but there's always another choice. There's always like 10,000 more choices. You just got to find them. You got to be smart enough to get them. And when you're at that kind of dilemma, you got to just look really hard at it 
and see if you can make it work. Sometimes you can't, but I feel like you can. That's so interesting. Um, and, And would you say that like people notice that there's something different or have you developed your, your sort of acting skills quite well? No, I don't really pretend to like care a lot <laughs> of the time. And plus the mask for uh, COVID really helps. I can just walk around just, you know, responding to people how I want to in a kind of like, you know, empathetic voice, but under the mask, it's just, <laughs> it's just blank. Fair, fair. And, uh, Oh, that's okay. <laughs> um, the uh, so so that kind of leads me to another question that I have, and that is things like when 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 the see, I'm not really sure what to call people who aren't. So when I say neurotypical, when neurotypical yep. people, um, we have a lot of these really weird sort of biological responses that we have that we don't really control. For example, if someone smiles at you or makes an indication of like friendliness, uh, very often neurotypical people will smile back without trying to smile back. Um, are any of those kind of pieces different for you? I mean, I can see what they're trying to do. If somebody smiles at me, I'll just look at them and then I'll <laughs> see if they're smiling at me. So I smile at them. Okay. Okay. But it's more of a uh, conscious like a, action. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Um, And you mentioned uh, sadism, which brings me to a a question that I think is really fascinating in general, regardless of who I'm talking to, but especially if someone is, is experiencing neurodivergence is what, how do you view like, and this is a big question, so I'm sorry, but (laughs) how do you view morality as a whole? Do you think that like a lot of it is sort of fluff do you think that a lot of it makes sense? Uh, I'm not sure. When you said morality, it kind of just made my mind go blank because I have <laughs> my own moral codes, but I can't really put them into words. Uh, I really don't think about morality a lot of the time. I just do what I need to do to get stuff done. Okay, okay. Yeah, because like I, in particular, I'm thinking of you know talking about sadism and how that's a common trait um, and <clears throat> a lot of people who are neurotypical really like, it's, it's really frustrating to me and it's taken me a long time to unlearn, but we really, really lean hard on morality to give us these answers to these, you know, big questions and all that stuff. And, and we apply morality a lot, in my opinion, a lot of times where it doesn't really apply. And so when someone says sadism, you know, that's the idea of getting joy from someone else's pain. Yep. But I feel like a lot of the time we assume someone's getting joy from someone else's pain, but they could be getting something else. You know, Mm -hmm. we're only really judging that from the outside. So you might say like, you know, with the example of CEOs, they go, oh, well, he's just a sadist. And it's like, well, maybe he's actually doing that because he wants to grow his own influence, you know, and it has absolutely nothing like, like, you know, it's he's completely apathetic, which isn't the same as malice. You know, and so I guess what I mean is when you have, when you're forced to interact with the idea, the very impractical ideas of morality that our society has created, what sort of like, how do you, how do you interact with them? I just kind of just mimic. Yeah. I mean, that's a boring answer, but yeah. (laughs) No, no, that's a great answer because it's very concise and clear. Um, 
So is, is the, is happiness something that you would say that you want? Uh, I want stability. And I guess that would be a form of happiness for me. I would, ideally, I would like to meet someone like me, uh, to, you know, just to get married and, uh, you know, we, you know, get less taxes or whatever, and whatever happens when you get married, <laughs> have a kid, raise them, just be friends, but we fuck. <laughs> That's totally fair. That's totally fair. And do you find that you interact like you, like in everyday life? Cause I'm sure that you recognize it better than someone who's not, you know, neurodivergent in that same way. Do you find that there are many people around you that are that way and just aren't talking about it or maybe not diagnosed? Uh, I think about that a, a lot, but then I'm usually just wrong. I like to think I'm good at reading people, but no, that's not, that's not good. I'm not good at it. <laughs> that's totally, uh, totally fair. And you, you answered one of my next questions about, you know, ideally wanting a kid and stuff like that. Cause one of the things, and, and maybe this isn't something you struggle with. That's what's so interesting to me is one of the things like sort of, they call it the human condition is to question like, why are we here? what's the point, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of people who are neurotypical or neurodivergent kind of move into the nihilism space and nothing matters and all of that. So like, do you think about those big types of questions? Like, why are we here? What's the point? Do you, do you feel a need for purpose? Uh, I'm just kind of here. Like I could like just off myself, but you know, that's not the way to go. The way to go is to die naturally. I'm going to just wait for that. If that happens naturally and I'm like super rich, then okay. If I die right now, as like a 21 year old, then okay. I'm not really too hell bent on like staying here in this, you know, flying rock. It's cool, but I don't really care either way. That's uh that, that totally makes sense. And, and I, I actually think that that's not, you know, specific to being uh, ASPD um, yeah. or having, I'm not sure what the term is and I'm very sorry if I said it wrong, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, but that's, that's very cool to me um, that at the end of the day, I feel like you're, you're more similar than you are different. You just interact with things differently. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I do feel like that, but every time like people who I tell, uh, that I'm a psychopath. They like try to relate to me. Like saying, <laughs> oh yeah, I feel like that too. I just, I really don't like that because I can't, I can't wrap my head around like somebody being, being able to like relate to me, but mm -hmm. I can't see myself in them at all. Well, and what's funny about that, maybe not funny, like haha, but interesting about that is that a hallmark of, of what's going on is that you, you don't feel like that you relate to many people. So it's almost like the second someone says that they relate to it, that they're lying. Yes, exactly. If, if they did, they wouldn't know it. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> exactly. That's so interesting. People are fucked though, or funny. I'll say funny. People are funny. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, I feel like a lot of us really, really crave that connection to other people. And so we'll like, like um, the, you know, neuro, like, like people who don't have similar disorders you know, really, really feel this, this craving of connecting to whoever we're interacting with. And so our brain will tell us all these lies about how we're so similar. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I think, like I said, I think in some ways there's a lot of, like, it's a weird place because I feel like psychopathy is, is, uh, it's used as a, 
almost like a like an isolated like sort of villain type thing where it's like you know them yeah. and us and them you know and in in a sense it's like well we're really not that different but at the same time we're not similar enough to pretend like we're not different at all does that make sense yeah i get what you're saying um and i uh i really the, the thing that i'm most excited here about is that i think that there's a lot of people who i don't know what the right word is because i don't think it's suffer um, live with who who engage with the world the similar way that you do and and have these disorders and I was just actually talking about this with with Mike where you know the world is built for neurotypicals the yeah. higher structure of our society is built for neurotypicals which is kind of messed up because the number of people who are truly neurotypical like fit that very narrow view is actually very small you know there's so many types of divergence and mm-hmm. oh sorry mm-hmm. go ahead I feel like since you said that the world is built for like neurotypicals, that in a sense says that the world is built for, you know, people with psychopathy (laughs) because they're pretty good at manipulating. Like, Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so if it's built for neurotypicals, then it would be easy for someone to like just to blend in. So it's built for everyone, I feel like. That's so interesting. I guess, I guess what I mean is, and, and psychopathy probably does do better because you can sort of read what's going on and look at it in a practical sense and not get so involved in your emotions instead of your, you know, um, Mm -hmm. your actual cognition. But uh, what I mean is like, I look at, uh, we were actually talking about ADHD and how someone who has ADHD will interact with the world in their way. And it's just like so hard to succeed at anything with ADHD. Um, you know, and like it's built to be this like I don't I don't know the world's so fucking fake at this point in a lot of different ways, um, but it's uh it's this this weird structure where it's like you have to work X time to X time and you have to do this this way and you have to do this that way and then and if you're not doing that if you don't follow like the, like toe the party line or whatever it's called, um, you're you're considered a problem. Like you have problems and it's like, okay, but if the person who's living that way isn't experiencing problems and it's only external people who view it as a problem, that's what I mean when I say that it's built for neurotypicals is that you only get judged if you follow exactly the, the made up rules, you know? Ah, okay. Now I see what you're saying. Yeah. And it's It's it's, pretty fucking stupid. Yeah. And it's strange because like I said, I mean, the number of people like, to be diagnosed, uh, how many how many symptoms are there to diagnose ASPD, and how many of them do you need to have to be diagnosed? Uh, I'm not really sure. <laughs> Probably a fucking lot. Well, because like with with borderline, for example, there's a list of nine symptoms, and you have to hit at least five to be diagnosed with uh, with BPD. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really weird to me because you can have four of those symptoms and you're considered to be normal, quote unquote. But if you have one more, then you're considered to be, you know, um, BPD or have BPD or whatever the term is. Um, and I find it really, really strange because that implies that a lot of us have at least some of the symptoms of whatever disorder. And that further implies that very few of us have no symptoms 
of a neurodivergent disorder, quote unquote. I don't like the term disorder around it because the way that I view it is it's just a different way of viewing the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and to call it disordered is, I mean, kind of insulting, but also implies that it's something that needs to be fixed. And it's like, why? <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so anyways, I, I kind of got on a rabbit trail there and I didn't mean to. It's just, it's so interesting to me. Um, so when, uh, what, what, okay, this is a weird question, but so what do you do when the expectation is that, like, so for example, say, you know, you and I are good friends and I come to you for emotionally related advice, kind of how do you handle a situation like that? I give it to you straight. I give you all the facts and I'll tell you that you got to accept it. I'm not going to play around somebody else's emotions. I'll like consider them and I'll, you know, be less harsh, but I'm not going to, you know, sugarcoat anything because sugarcoating is just another way to hide the truth. And if I really want to help somebody, then I'll just give to them straight. Fair. That totally makes sense. Um, But okay. So, and this is just a thought experiment. And if if you don't want to do it, it's fine. But so like, let's say it's, I don't know if you have sisters, but I'm going to assume you have a sister for just the purposes of this. Um, Let's say you have a sister and she comes to you and she goes, I think my boyfriend's cheating. And she gives you a list of reasons that he could be and a list of reasons that he might not be. And of course, without having psychic abilities, (laughs) we can't, we can't do anything to, to really determine it. And the way that, then, you know, the way that I would deal with that would be sort of look at the emotional side of it and stuff like that. What kind of what kind of tools do you use to figure things out when we don't have all the you don't have all the information? Honesty. I'm a pretty good liar, but honesty is really the best way to deal with neurotypicals in those type of situations. You just ask the boyfriend, hey, are you I feel like you're cheating, are you? I'm not gonna, you know, set a trap for you. I'm just asking you because I'm your girlfriend. And then <laughs> if they get mad, then that's a reason to break up right there. That if is, you talk about it, then it's good. You just talk about it, talk it out, and everything's okay. That is excellent advice, regardless of if you're neurotypical or not. Um, that's uh, that's excellent advice, and I, I I think like that's why when in the beginning I said that I think that I imagine it can be freeing in some ways. That's exactly what I meant. Yeah. Is that like in some ways our emotions are like shackles, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've been seeing it. I have a lot of friends that uh, simped over a a lot of people, and I just said, hey, give up. These are the reasons why you should, and these are the reasons uh, you're stupid, and they didn't listen. (laughs) Well, and how do you, like, do you, okay, I I don't want to imply anything. I just want to understand as best I can um, how, like, when things aren't going the way they should because people are being stupid, which which we constantly do, like, you know, kind of all of humanity does that a lot. what how do you cope with that or do you just are you just able to just not care like i can just not care but uh if it seems to be like affecting uh like friends and like the conversation like the conversation getting dull and stuff because somebody's doing something stupid then i'll try to solve the issue as best as i can and if i can't i just i just call them stupid <laughs> and i just pull out like my favorite game and just play that while i listen to all the bullshit Fair enough. So you sort of, you just bring your attention somewhere else so that you don't have to deal with all the crap. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Um, and so now that, uh, 
now that you've shared so much with you with me, I've got to say thank you very, very much for volunteering your time to help people better understand this and how it relates to happiness and relationships. Um, it, I'm very grateful. And I was wondering, are you wanting to play a fun game where we guess 1940s slang? Yes, but I'm going to be very bad at it. Okay, that's okay. I would be bad at it too. I'm just lucky enough to never be the one who has to guess. Um, all right. I guess not lucky. I guess I designed it that way, but still. Um, all right. So we're going to start with a anchor clanker. What is an anchor clanker? Anchor clanker. That's the term for a wife. <laughs> it's a sailor. A sailor. Oh. <laughs> which makes sense when you when you hear it, but I could see why that would be hard. Oh, this one you probably know. This one you probably know. What's a broad? Oh, that's a, that's like a bra, but for men. Uh, it's a wife, isn't it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a woman. It's a woman. Um, okay. Um, oh, my goodness. Do you hear that? No. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> glitterati. <laughs> glitterati? <laughs> sounds like a 2021 word, not a 1940s word. Glitterati. It sounds like a, like a condom. I don't know. Condom? <laughs> It's uh, wealthy or famous people with high profile. Uh, it does sound like that. <laughs> All right, we're gonna do two more. Um, what is a ducky shin cracker? Ducky shin cracker. Um, ducky shin cracker. Uh, a new pair of boots. <laughs> See, that makes more sense to me than the real answer. Apparently, it's a really good dancer. I don't That's know what that stupid. has to do with dancing. Yeah, I think it's stupid, too. Um, and then the last one, I'm pretty sure, like, I've heard it in my lifetime, so it's obviously made its way through, but I don't know if you'll have. Um, what is a chrome dome? Chrome dome is the ball-headed guy. Yeah, it right? sure is. It sure is. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> so is still in culture. Is there anything that you wanted to add before I say goodbye to the audience? Um, hmm, I would like to say, I mean, this is everywhere, though. I just like saying it. You know, <laughs> almost every serial killer is a psychopath, but not all psychopaths are serial killers. So that don't is always judge. Important. Yeah, I feel like people should cool it with the judging. It's no different than having a neurodivergence in another direction. Um, yeah. Thank you so, so much. I had so much fun. And to my, to my audience, I love you. Bye. Thank you.